Welcome to the Nourishment Mindset Podcast, your guide to good food, good health, and a good life. And now, here's your host, Nutrition Network Advisor and author of the Nourishment Mindset, Dixie Huey. Happy Transformation Tuesday, y'all. Welcome to or back to the Nourishment Mindset Podcast, where we are on a metabolic mission to achieve or rediscover vitality using real whole foods, straight talk, and the pleasures of the table. Today, I have a wonderful and inspiring guest with me, the great Ben Azadi. He is a four-time best-selling author, the founder of Keto Camp. He is a national speaker, a podcaster with a massive loyal audience, and a fellow Floridian, and a genuinely nice dude. So welcome, Ben. Dixie, thank you for having me on your show. You were just on my show. We had an amazing conversation. So I am looking forward to round two with you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Me too. So I like inspiring health stories. It's one thing to have someone who is born with impeccable genetics and a love of exercise and health food and all of that, but that's not a lot of people. So can you share with us, you're, you're a lean, strong, vital dude, but I, I, from what I understand, that wasn't always you. So can you share with us your backstory? For sure. Yeah. I did not hit the genetic lottery and unfortunately, <laughs> so I grew up here in Miami where fellow Floridians are not too far from me, born and raised here in Miami beach, Florida. My parents immigrated here from Iran back in the 1970s, and I was born in 1984. And my parents actually had an arranged marriage, which is very common in Iran. But when they came here, obviously, the, there was like a 35-year age discrepancy in their relationship, and they ended up getting divorced. And that's part of my story, because my mom raised me, but my mom worked three jobs. Wow. Two of those jobs she worked was at a Kentucky Fried Chicken. <laughs> she was the manager at a Kentucky Fried Chicken. So I was the happiest kid in the world. She would bring me home Kentucky Fried Chicken pretty much every single night. And I ate the Kentucky Fried Chicken. And I remember my mom telling me that some nights she didn't bring home Kentucky Fried Chicken and I would get angry. Mom, why didn't you bring home Kentucky Fried Chicken? She would tell me that they only changed the oil, which was soybean oil. It is still to this day after 14 days. So when it got really dark after refrying and refrying, she didn't bring it to me during those days. She only brought it like that week where they changed it. So thank you, mom, um, which is kind of disgusting. And I'm sure it's the same now nowadays, but that's part of my story because I followed a standard American diet. My mom worked all the time. I was pretty much left to my own devices. And I'm a big believer that you become your environment. And my environment growing up was a really toxic environment from friends that were in gangs and selling drugs and doing drugs and eating fast food and, and standard American diet. So that became my life growing up. And I was obese as a kid, physically obese, mentally obese. I was very unhealthy, but also low self-esteem, low self-confidence. And I was one of those kids that were, I was bullied and picked on. I wore t-shirts inside of swimming pools. Like I avoided outdoor activities, which is kind of hard to do in Miami. Right. And this transferred into my adulthood. I was 23 years old back in 2007 
And I found myself being a 250 pound obese man who hit rock bottom. At this time, I was going through a breakup with my girlfriend at the time, ended up being ex-girlfriend, and I was devastated. I didn't know how to deal with it. All I cared about was video game scores, and I was working at a nine-to-five job that was very uninspiring, which is not good for your health. A lack of purpose is a big contributor to obesity and disease, and that was my path. So I wanted to give up. That was the easiest solution for me. And when I say give up, it's exactly what it sounds like. I wanted to commit suicide. I was looking for ways to commit suicide several times. I went on the internet and I searched for ways to commit suicide where I would experience the least amount of suffering and pain. And every time I explored that, Dixie, I kept thinking about my mother. And it was like God sending me, you know, this little God wink moment. Like, what would your mother have to deal with if you took your life. And and I loved my mom. I love my mom to this day. She sacrificed so much for me. And I, I didn't want to do that to her. I didn't want to leave her with the devastation. And yeah, you know, my friends and other family members, them too, but it was primarily my mom that I was thinking about. So it forced me to figure things out. And it started with one book. My best friend handed me a book and he said, I think you should read this book. I think it'll make a big difference for you. I didn't read anything in my life. I only read the bare minimum in high school and college just to get by. But I was so desperate. Uh, I knew I wasn't going to take my life. I knew I had to figure things out. So I read that one book. And it wasn't that this one book is like the greatest book ever and everybody should read it. However, it was a great book. It's called The Slight Edge by Jeff Olson. And what the book taught me was that we make these little behavior. There's different behaviors that go on every single day. These little daily activities that we do. And these daily activities that we do, small or big, they they compound over time and they grow and grow and grow and they manifest to give you what your results are in life. So if they're little bad behaviors that are just repeated over time, it compounds to really poor results in life. And that's exactly what happened to me, eating wrong foods, doing drugs, video games, these small little decisions I made that compounded to where I was in life. So I thought, wow, if, if that's what led me to this being obese and unhealthy and, and wanting to give up on life, what if I made small behavior changes and then compounded that in the other direction towards a positive life and a healthy life? And that really lit me up because it helped me understand the, the importance of the daily decisions that we make every day and how it doesn't just happen overnight, it compounds over time. And then that one book led to other incredible authors like Dr. Wayne Dyer, Tony Robbins, a lot of people you love. Lisa Nichols, um, Bob Proctor, other incredible people out there. The books did so much for me. It opened up a whole new world I never knew ever existed. These were incredible authors who had their own pain to purpose story. But the mm -hmm. most important thing the books did for me, it finally helped me take ownership and responsibility. And I started mm -hmm. to understand that word responsibility, which is your ability to respond to life. I started to understand that wow, my ability to respond to life up until this point was very poor. I was blaming my genetics. I was blaming my enabling family members. I was blaming my slow metabolism. But I, I stopped being the victim of my history and I started to become the victor of my destiny. And I started to actually just make small changes every day. And nine months after that decision to take ownership, and I do believe taking responsibility is the first step to great change, Nine months later, I went from 250 pounds all the way down to 170 pounds. I went from 34% body fat to 6% body fat. I went from wearing size 38 waist in my pants to size 30. And uh, I finally achieved this 
mythical six pack, this physical six pack that I always dreamed of. Not that that is synonymous with good health, by the way, but for me, it was like incredible to achieve this. But most importantly, I achieved the mental six pack and what it did for my mental health. And that's where it all started for me. That was 14, 15 years ago. And, you know, the journey has changed along the way from being a personal trainer, similar to you, uh, having a CrossFit gym, selling it and then writing books, et cetera. But that was the starting point. And uh, no, it it was, you know, I had bad genes. I have bad genes. But more, more importantly, I changed my environment to change the expression of those genes. Yes. And that is the, what we every human being has the ability to do. Oh, that is so powerful. And I think especially your key message about the small steps, because what you did is to me, somewhat overwhelming. Um, if you look at it from the big picture, but when you look at it as one step, one foot in front of the other, that really breaks it down and hopefully is less overwhelming. So thank you. So the friend gives you the book, you open the book, you don't want to do this to your mother. How do you move from depressed and trapped to the first step? And what was the first step? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the first step was literally the first step, meaning I, I just started moving. <laughs> I just started okay. going for more walks. And then that led to playing basketball, which is a, a sport that I enjoy, which doesn't feel like exercise. We actually spoke about this on, yep. on my podcast, like find activities that you enjoy doing that you don't feel like you're doing exercise. And for me, that was, and it is to this day, basketball. And then, you know, after I started to play basketball, then it led to like strength training and then it led to different things, but it really just started with literally moving my body, like just getting steps in each day and then going from there. And the, the spark, as you called it was hitting rock bottom. Mm. And from my understanding, from all my 14 years of research on self-development, which I love studying and teaching probably more than health and nutrition and keto is self-development. From my understanding is the subconscious mind runs the show, right? It's, it's, these, it's called the paradigm, which is a multitude of behaviors that are just embedded into your subconscious mind that determine your daily behaviors without you even thinking about it. And it's 95, 90%, 95% that runs the show of the subconscious mind. And from my understanding, there's only two ways to change and reprogram that subconscious mind. Number one, the first way is an emotional impact. To give you an example of an emotional impact, 9-11, right? September 11, 2001 here in America, a lot of people um, were really closely related to the people affected in 9-11. They knew people who worked in, the, in, the, in New York City. They knew people who died on the airplane. That's an emotional impact, which is going to change the way you think and behave for the rest of your life. That's an example of how you could change your subconscious mind. For me, it was being depressed and suicidal. That was an emotional impact that changed. I was desperate because I knew it was going to take my life. That was an emotional impact. Now, ideally, we don't want to go through an emotional impact to change the subconscious mind because nine times out of, the ten, out of 10, it's going to be a negative thing. It's going to be a lot of suffering involved like it was for me and the people with 9-11 and anybody who's going through rock bottom. The second way to reprogram the subconscious mind, which is the favorable favorable way, is to uh, it's the constant repetition with coaching, uh, meaning these small little behaviors that you master and then habit stack, and you do it over a long period of time. 
where now you create new neural pathways and you get coaching to hold you accountable. Now that's the way we want to go about it. Ideally for me, it wasn't that way in the beginning. I was just desperate. And sometimes when people are hit and in rock bottom, it's hard to see how beautiful rock bottom is. And I really believe rock bottom is beautiful because it, when you get out of rock bottom, the other side of that is, is infinite. It's, it's incredible. Like use that as a springboard to launch into something great. And that's exactly what I did. So those are the two ways, either you have an emotional impact. So somebody might be going through this right now, who's listening to your podcast, or you start to make these small little tweaks. You teach the small little tweaks that lead to giant peaks and then you habit stack and habit stack. Those are the two main ways. I love it. And I agree. The, the former it's, it's beautiful from the, the lens of the rear view mirror. It's not so pretty. That's right. The moment. <laughs> so true. Thank goodness. So let's switch gears a little bit. We've fast forwarded your past your training and gym days. You found keto camp. Tell us about that. Cause it's, it's more than one thing. I know it's a podcast. It's a, a, a coaching system and educational program. Yes, it's exactly. So Keto Camp is my company. It's a we're a global brand and we have our Keto Camp podcast, Keto Camp YouTube, social media, and then books and programs, etc. Uh in 2013, I was a vegan. <laughs> From 2012 to 2013, I was a strict vegan for 15 months, uh, where I was just hundred percent plant-based. I read the book China Study back then before I knew how to actually understand studies and it kind of fooled me into thinking that was the right way to go about it for my health and for humanity, et cetera. And uh, it didn't work for me and it's not working for a lot of people, but I, I started to experience some symptoms from being plant-based, especially as, as a CrossFit athlete who's plant-based. And if you think about it, have you ever done CrossFit by the way, Dixie? I have. I made the mistake of trying CrossFit about four weeks postpartum Oh, wow. <laughs> I do not recommend, you know, do as I say, not as I do. I should know better. But I really want to get that baby weight off. So <laughs> I, I have a biased opinion of CrossFit, but I love the elements from what I know of community of just hard freaking work and, and sure. lifting weights, just boom. Yeah. And, and you know, not all not every single CrossFit box, as they call them, is the same. It really depends on the ownership and the coaching. There are some really great ones out there, but there, there's also some bad ones too. But what all CrossFits have in common, what all CrossFitters have in common is that, number one, they can't stop talking about CrossFit. Like they tell all their friends, they do CrossFit, they're really proud of it. And that was me when I used to own my CrossFit gym. But this, if vegans have the same thing in common, they can't stop talking about being a vegan. So imagine a CrossFitting vegan I was telling everybody, hashtag plant powered. That was my hashtag. So I, I I was very dogmatic about it. And I learned a lesson because we don't want to be dogmatic about our, anything, especially our health. So after 15 months of being plant-based, I decided, okay, this is not working for me. I did lab work. It verified that it was not working for me. Then I wanted to discover, all right, what else is out there? And I started to research these ancient healing strategies meaning ancient, it's been around forever, and they have been proven to stand the test of time. They're not fads, they are facts. They have been around for as long as humans have existed. They're health tools. Ketosis is a part of that. And I started to get into you know, our ancestors and what our ancestors did. And, and by default, 
every single one of our ancestors did keto because they didn't have food available to them. They had to fast. And by default, they had to burn fat and then produce ketones so their brain could have energy so they could stay alert and hunt and kill. Made so much sense to me. So I went from being a vegan to being keto and pairing that with intermittent fasting, which was something I was studying back then as well. And I became really fascinated with these ancient healing strategies. I started to really love learning about ketosis. And of course, the way I used to teach it is not the way I teach it now. I've learned a lot, a lot of things along the way. But to answer your question, a few years after that is when I actually rebranded from my company at that time was called Shred Fat to Keto Camp. And that's where Keto Camp started in 2018. And when I rebranded and that's where all the new social media channels were created and and now we have our, our cat, Keto Camp Academy and programs, et cetera. But um, for those who are not familiar with my work, we are not your traditional keto programs. I'm not your traditional keto teacher. Um, I think ketosis is great, but I view it as one tool in the shed. I, I don't teach long-term ketosis. I don't teach any, I don't teach dogma. We, we teach health over dogma. I know you're very similar, Dixie. So we teach it as a, as a tool to reset the metabolism, to get your body really metabolically flexible, which is the ability to burn fat and then sugar and back and forth uh, really, really efficiently. And that's the way that we teach keto at Keto Camp. I love it. I love it. No dogma in this house. Nope. No dogma. <laughs> Just my dog who's sleeping right here. <laughs> oh, excellent. Well, I have a Newfoundland. So I am, uh, you, you talked ah. about the, the power of, crossfitters and the and the, the brand power of vegans i think who's got you beat is noof owners they are even more annoying is that right so you're so, one of them right now i'm one of those who's sitting i have to ask who's underneath you his name is ziggy stardust uh paying tribute to david bowie of course and he's um Sleeping right here. He's a nine and a half year old German Shepherd lab who I've had Ooh. since he was three months and he eats raw food. He does intermittent fasting. He drinks hydrogen water. He takes some good probiotics and digestive enzymes. He's a spoiled little pup. <laughs> Perfect. Well, anyone who's been to my house, I've heard this a lot. Your dog eats better than we do. Like, yeah. <laughs> yes. Once you see, you can't unsee. So yeah. Um, I just inhaled your book, Keto Flex, which I see behind you there. You've, yes. you've written more than one book, but something you said in the book really felt, you know, we've been speaking about inspiration and healing. This felt so empowering to me. You, you're talking about our inner physician and our body's innate intelligence. Will you speak to that a little bit? Yeah. Thank you for reading the book, by the way. Uh, this morning, I was actually writing um i'm creating a second edition for the book so i spent a couple hours um innate intelligence i love this topic it's the inner physician as you mentioned you know i believe that i believe in god and i believe god built human beings to be self-healing there's nothing external that we need it's really all we need is internal we have every, every mechanism every hormone every process needed to thrive not just survive and we've been brainwashed to believe that symptoms and diseases and diagnoses, diagnoses are evil and we should hate them. But in reality, those are beautiful gifts from the innate intelligence. It's the body's check engine light. Thank yes. God we have this system, right, Dixie? I mean, if we were driving in our car from Naples to, um, let's say, Georgia, 
and we're on um, I-95. We made our way to I-95 and we're halfway through our trip and the vehicle starts kind of having symptoms and stalling and the check engine light turns on. Would we just ignore that and keep driving and just force our way to Georgia? Or would a smart person say, well, I got to pull this car over, open up the hood and figure out what's going on underneath. Like that's what we would want to do. Thank God for this system in place to show us something's wrong with the vehicle. Same thing with the human vehicle. The symptoms are the check engine light and we either ignore them or we've had them for years. I mean, how long has our check engine lights been on? If you have a symptom, thank God it's the innate intelligence showing you something is creating blockage. Something is preventing the innate intelligence from healing. And in the book, Keto Flex, I talk about those three steps to healing the body. Number one, identify the interference. Number two, work on removing that interference. And number three, allow your innate intelligence to go to work and, and have your body heal itself. So the example, it, when it comes to like allopathic medicine, conventional medicine, when it comes to symptoms is this, let's say somebody had last night, they went out and they picked out, they had two whole pizzas, they had 50 prunes, they had two pineapples. And then, <laughs> I love the prunes. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Why would they even throw that in there, right? But they want to, you know, do it for constipation and some sauerkraut. And they had all this food. They totally pigged out. They wake up the following morning and they have a lot of symptoms. They have acid reflux. They're puffy. They're bloated. They're either constipated or the other direction. They're, they have diarrhea. So they have a lot of symptoms. And the average person will make an appointment with their doctor explain to their doctor they're dealing with all these symptoms and the doctor's listening to them and the doctor says no worries here is a prescription for an antacid anti-flatulence and five other medications go pick up the pharmacy you're going to feel better but those symptoms were gifts they were feedback mechanisms if the doctor would have just asked the patient what did you eat oh you ate all that food that's the cause just don't do that again versus writing all these prescriptions to like mask up all of those symptoms, that's not the goal. So the innate intelligence is within ourselves. It's within our body and we want to harness it. It's that inner physician. For many years, scientists believe that the intelligence, the innate intelligence was our DNA nucleus. And that premise means whatever genes you were born with, if you have cancer that runs in the family, diabetes or heart disease, autoimmune, it's just bad luck. You are, it's just a matter of time before that gene gets turned on and you are diagnosed with that disease. And Dr. Bruce Lipton came on the scene many, many years ago. He's a world-renowned cell biologist who wrote a fantastic book called The Biology of Belief. And I was blessed to interview him uh, a couple years ago. And he challenged that premise that your intelligence was in your DNA. So what he did, he would remove the DNA nucleus from cells and observe what would happen next in the cell. And the cells went on to function totally fine for months, even though the DNA was removed, which went wow. to show that it's not the DNA that has the intelligence. Something else is running the show. He wanted to find out, okay, if it's not the DNA, where is it? So he would remove the cell membrane, instant death. Remove the cell membrane, instant death. And this has been duplicated by other researchers. So it's the cell membrane, he calls the membrane, that is actually where the intelligence is. So if we know that the cell membrane is that important, the next question we should ask is, 
what is the membrane made of and what does the membrane love? So let's answer those questions. The membrane is made up of protein, saturated fat, and cholesterol. Evil those substances. Evil substances that the doctor says are bad things to consume. You're actually made of it. And it loves protein, saturated fat, and cholesterol. It loves these incredible fats. The membrane is what allows good things into the cell. When I say good things, I mean nutrients, oxygen, thoughts, hormones, and then bad things out, meaning toxins, because cells create free radicals and toxins every time it produces energy. An inflamed membrane doesn't allow good things in or bad things out, and then genes get triggered. But a healthy membrane allows the right things in, the right things out. Uh, so that is what we want to support. It's the membrane that runs the show. It is the bodyguard of the cells. And I always say life begins and life ends in that cell membrane. I love it. That That's a beautiful, and again, the theme is just appearing before our eyes. It's inspiring, right? Because we have plenty of control. Not that as a yoga instructor, I believe we have control over really anything and <laughs> a spiritual person, but we do have control of the choices that we make for that cell membrane. Okay. Four pillars in keto flex. What four things do we need to know? Yes. So the four pillars are uh, how I teach keto uh, and let me outline them real quick. So pillar one is called adapt meaning let's get fat adapted. Let's burn fat instead of sugar. Out of the 70 trillion cells inside of the human body, we are either burning sugar, glucose, or burning fat, ketones. Most people in America, probably the world, first world countries, are sugar burners. Um, that There was a study that came out 2018 from the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. And it was a 10-year study with over 8,000 people. Their goal was to determine how healthy or how unhealthy is the adult American population. So they looked at different metrics, blood pressure, A1C, uh, BMI. They looked at if they're on medication, how many medications, et cetera. And they determined at the end of the study that 88% of the adult American population is metabolically unhealthy. And Dixie, that was before COVID. Do you, do you think it got better or worse after COVID? Oh, so much better because all of the health messaging around the eating for Metabolic nutrient health, density right? <laughs> and vitamin D and, and, you know, hugging your neighbor and all that. I'm sure it's mostly alleviated. Yeah, exactly. So it totally got worse. And that means 90% plus right now of Americans are sugar burners. I, I, I call them, they're in a keto deficiency because they really need keto. They've forgotten how to burn fat. So adapt the first pillar is to teach them to burn fat instead of sugar. And it's very easy to do. I could get most people fat adapted in 14 days. So there's a protocol in the book to teach you how to do as such. We talk about the keto flu. We talk about the importance of the liver for bile production and breaking down fat and other tips, et cetera. That's the first pillar. After we have become fat adapted, then we shift into the second pillar, which is called fast. And that stands for intermittent fasting and intermittent fasting strategies, which I'm a huge fan of. I love fasting. It's a fantastic way to harness that innate intelligence and stress your body. Um, and I know that sounds bad to a lot of people, but when your body, stress is only bad when your body doesn't adapt to the stress. Stress is very important when your body adapts to it. I mean, you're 
a fitness instructor exercises the stress to the body and you get stronger when you recover, right? That, that's the goal. So fasting is very similar. It stresses your body. And as long as you don't do too much and you recover, so you balance it out with the feasting part, eating healthy, then you recover and get stronger. So second pillar is all about different fasting strategies. We talk about how to build that fasting muscle. And that's exactly what it is. It's like a muscle. The reason I put that second versus right off the bat is because I've found that when people are fat adapted, it makes fasting so much more easier when they have ketones there versus 100%. the sugar, right? Oh versus God. like a sugar burner who just tries to fast. It's not going to feel fun. I used to fret to go get a, like an 8 a.m. lab draw because <laughs> yeah, me too. that's like 12 hours without eating. I'm probably going to pass out. <laughs> yeah. How many people have to, you know, feel the same way. Yeah. So we're, we're designed to go at least 12 hours, but most people they have that same feeling. Yeah. So fasting is number two. And then number three is called phase. This has changed over the years. Uh, in the beginning, it was just like really, really low carb, meaning like 20 grams or less, sometimes 10 grams or less of carbs. But now it's actually a carnivore pillar, phasing out anti-nutrients, phasing out plant toxins, et cetera. And, and I love carnivore, but don't 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 get me wrong. I, I don't think carnivore is something we do forever. I think it's a great elimination diet to help repair the gut, especially leaky gut. So many people have leaky gut. So we phase out all of these plant toxins that actually make leaky gut worse as we repair the gut with fasting strategies and other things. So number three, the third pillar is called phase because we're phasing out all these anti-nutrients for a period of time, 30, 60, maybe 90 days. Then we move into pillar four, which is called flex. And that stands for keto flexing. So the premise behind keto flexing is, all right, now at this point, we've built up this metabolic machinery. We have achieved um, a healthy metabolism that's not just fat adapted, but also keto adapted. And those are different physiological processes. Fat adaptation could take place within seven or 14 days where we're testing your blood ketones, you're showing your ketosis for seven days or more, you're burning fat instead of sugar. That could happen fairly soon. But keto adaptation takes about eight to 12 weeks where now your mitochondria and your cells are primed to use ketones. They prefer it. They're using it very, very efficiently. And you kind of, it's, it's hard to test for keto adaptation. So I always tell people, pay attention to how your brain is, is working because the brain has the most mitochondria. And when you're keto adapted, those ketones signal to the mitochondria to create more mitochondria, mitogenesis. So you kind of get this like enhancement of mental clarity. Your brain fog completely goes away. You just feel like you're just, I call it the great land of ketosis. Like you're it's a superpower essentially. So that on average, it takes about eight to 12 weeks. Then we start doing keto flexing. And I know this is a little controversial, um, and a, a lot of my keto colleague uh, practitioners don't really agree with me because they're they're like ketos forever, ketos for life. But I don't agree with that. I think keto is great, but I'm more of a believer in flexing, meaning going in and out of ketosis. And if you built up in the the metabolism, you should be able to do it. Um, you should do it. I, I recommend you do it because it's very important to not just burn sugar all the time, not just burn fat all the time, but to go back and forth in between. So I talk about different ways to do that. There's also a chapter on women doing it versus men because they need to do it differently. Uh, so that's the premise behind keto flexing. So those are the four pillars in the book. Thank you. I um, Particularly the flex part for me really 
spoke to me because as I mentioned to you on your show, I've, I've been too hardcore one way and it makes total sense to me that if the body with its innate intelligence has the ability to have these two systems, then why would we have both systems if we didn't need to use them both? You know, the ratio will probably depend on the person and whatnot, but it, yep. I just yes. thank you though, because I realized, whoa, I've pushed too hard one way. I need to just kind of come back. And that's the thing y'all that I loved about it is it's very practical. It's not, I mean, Ben is so schooled in all of the research and studies and the, the science, but the book, the book has a great practical element where even if you're someone who just wants the how to do it and not necessarily the why or the science behind it, you'll, you'll get that in keto flex. So thank you, Dixie. We have um, a few things in common, but one of those things is our mutual dislike of seed oils. <laughs> and there was a part, is it professor Peskin? Am I saying his yeah, name? That's right. Yep. And I, this was actually, I mean, when do you laugh out loud reading a nutrition health book? I mean, almost never y'all, right? So this prof was preferring cigarettes to seed oils. And I just thought, oh my gosh, this is so up my alley because I've had people ask me as a health coach, some of the strangest questions, like <laughs> my son is Fletcher. Would you prefer that Fletch smoke or drink a soda? And my answer was smoke. So, <laughs> all joking aside, what, what do you and prof, why do y'all, why do you write this? Why does he say this? Why are they so bad? Brian Peskin, along with Dr. Kate Shanahan, who you introduced me to, and I'm so grateful because now she, I consider her a friend. Brian Peskin, along with Dr. Kate Shanahan, has probably they're probably like the top researchers on fats, uh, polyunsaturated fats and different saturated fats, et cetera, and how they work inside the body. Peskin's a really smart guy. Um, he's a little controversial and it's safe to say he he doesn't have a really good delivery. He, he's like an angry, smart man. And I think he would, if, if he's hearing this, I think you're brilliant, Peskin, but I think there's a better way to deliver the message. Um, but he's like one of those really smart people. So he's really angry because he's like, he could see how people get it wrong. So I, I get it, but I do think there's a better way to deliver the message. So he has done so much research on fish oil and PUFAs, vegetable oils, et cetera. He's read tens and tens and thousands of studies. And I was sitting down with him. I was interviewing him. He was in Miami visiting and we had lunch together and we recorded a podcast in person. And I just asked him that question. I'm like, what's worse, cigarette, smoking cigarettes each day or eating these vegetable oils? And him being the analytical mind, the, the engineer looking at all, compiling all the research in like a matter of seconds in his mind, he gave me some stats on if somebody smoked two packs of cigarettes every day. I think the stats were if somebody smoked two packs of cigarettes each day for 28 years, the chances of them developing lung cancer within those 28 years is about 16%. And then the chances of somebody developing cancer or heart disease with vegetable oils in those 28 years is about 86%. And that that's a huge, huge discrepancy right there, right? And the reason is because these vegetable oils, they, they stick around... For a very long time, they get embedded into your body fat and they cause insulin resistance. They cause heart disease and cancer and they're everywhere. It takes a long time to get rid of them. And I, I even asked Dr. Kate Shanahan the same question. I, I gave Dr. Kate Shanahan three scenarios and I said, Dr. Kate, 
three scenarios, which scenario will create more cancer, more disease faster. So scenario number one was smoking cigarettes every day. Scenario number two was eating processed sugar every day. And scenario number three was eating these vegetable oils every day. And when I asked her the question, she giggled in that Dr. Kate Shanahan kind of way. And she said, that's an easy question. It is the seed oils, it's the vegetable oils. And her explanation was this. If you smoke cigarettes, obviously that's not good for you. But that cigarette smoke is not getting stored in your body fat for years. If you ate sugar in excess, obviously it's not good for you. But you can burn that off. You could exercise, you could build muscle. That glucose spike will drop down in a matter of hours, which is true. And then she said, but if you consume these vegetable oils, they get stuck in your body fat. The half-life is 680 days, meaning if you remove them today, 680 days later, half of these vegetable oils will still be in your body fat, creating systemic chronic inflammation. And that's why she believes, and I agree with her and Peskin, that they're worse than sugar and smoking cigarettes. It's a hell of a hangover, Ben. <laughs> 680 days. You just gave a talk at KetoCon, I think. Was it yes. called the Ancient Healing Strategies to Reduce Inflation Inflammation Rather and Reboot Metabolism? Key takeaways. Did you've talked about the your healing strategies earlier in the show, but anything like come up different, new, any kind of audience reaction? Yeah. So this was a unique um, lecture that I did because do you know, you know, Dr. Mindy Pellis is, are you familiar with her? No, uh, I don't know. her. Okay. So she's a uh, great friend of mine, a colleague, and I actually brought her in to do the lecture with me. We, we co-presented and we've always, we've shared the stage together many, many times, but not at the same time. So we co-presented together and it was super cool. It was, it was very challenging because I'm somebody who's so used to having my own spot, meaning like I have so many slides I want to get through. So we had to figure out how to cut the slides and you spend five minutes here, I spend five minutes there. So we were kind of like uncertain how it was going to go, but I can tell you that the feedback was amazing. KetoCon told us we had the highest attendance and the feedback I got from the audience was that they just loved it. And we had such a great time. So what we spoke about was very similar to what I already spoke about, which was the ancient healing strategies, the innate intelligence, et cetera. And then we got into three main causes of cell membrane inflammation, the top three mm -hmm. causes of cell membrane inflammation. So the first one was high glucose and insulin spikes. And I shared an analogy that the audience really loved from Dr. Jason Fung on how, how this creates insulin resistance and type two diabetes. And the analogy is if I put headphones on and I grab my phone and I opened up Spotify, and I mentioned uh, on the stage that I started to listen to the killers that they're my favorite rock band. So I'll give them another shout, shout out, but I listened to music, um, at 50% volume through my headset, but I, I don't take a break. I listen to that music 24 hours a day. I'm sleeping and the music is still playing after a few weeks. That music is going to sound like it's the, the volume is getting lessened and I'm going to have to increase the volume. So let's say I increase after a month to 70% but I don't take a break. I just listen to it. And after a few months, again, I have to keep increasing the volume to get the same effect. What's happening. I'm going deaf to the screams of the music and I got to keep increasing that volume to get the same effect. This is the same thing with the average person eating high carbohydrates and eating all day long. The beta cells are screaming 
their insulin is shouting to get glucose out of the body because the body only wants one teaspoon of sugar in the entire bloodstream, which is only 80 milligrams per deciliters. So when you eat high carbs and eat often, obviously you're going to have a lot more. And now the beta cells are just shouting. Uh, insulin is shouting to deliver that to your cells. And those receptor sites for insulin, similar to my hearing, it's becoming deaf to the scream. So I need to eat more to, for the same effect. I need to eat more. I need to eat more frequently to get the same effect. So the solution is to dial down the music or practice intermittent fasting and keto. Dial down the music. Let's get the hearing back, sensitize those hormones. So we spoke about that. I spoke about keto and I shared some studies on what low-carb, high-fat has done for diabetes. And I had a slide, several slides showing amazing research, six-month mark of keto, what it did for diabetes remission, 12-month mark, two-year mark. And then I showed... Um, let's look at a list of studies that show similar effectiveness from medication. And then the whole slide said, this page intentionally left blank because there's no <laughs> medication out there. And everybody laughed and it's so true. And then Mindy spoke about how fasting could dial down the music. That was the first one. The second one was vegetable oils, which we already spoke about creating massive amounts of membrane inflammation. Something I forgot to mention is when we go out to restaurants 99% mm -hmm. of the time, they're going to be using these vegetable oils. Whole Foods Supermarket, they use these vegetable oils. They're everywhere. So what I do is when I go to restaurants, I tell the server that I am allergic to vegetable oils. I tell them, not that I prefer not to have them, but I'm actually allergic. And I've been telling my students to do this for years, and sometimes they feel uncomfortable doing it. So I needed to come up with a solution for them. And I created this. It's called a seed oil allergy card. And on this allergy card, I, I see your face. Um, it says, dear chef, I have food allergies to vegetable oils. In order for me to avoid an allergic reaction, I must avoid everything marked off below. And it has the those hateful eight, those eight inflammatory fats. Oh my gosh. The following alternatives are safe. And then it has the healthier alternatives. Please make sure they are not cut with the allergic option. So just show this to your server and they're going to pay. This works like a charm. Your audience get this for free. If they go to seedoilcard.com, they could download the PDF, put it on their phone and just show that image to their server. And it works really, really well. Oh my gosh. Uh, that's just too good. Because <laughs> I've done the allergy thing too a lot and you get some raised eyebrows and it's like, okay, another health kook, fine. Right. Um, but that that's a certified card. So that's I right. love that. It makes it official. I use it all the time. So that was that was the second tip. The third tip was um, thir the third cause of cellular membrane inflammation was lack of purpose, mm. fear, and stress was the third one. And I I got into like um, vitamin G, which is my favorite supplement in the world. It is anti-inflammatory. It is going to help you lose weight. It's going to help with brain fog. It's going to help with long COVID. It's going to help with any symptom out there. It's the greatest supplement in the world. Dr. Joe Dispenza has done brain scans on participants going through his seminars and he's given them vitamin G and he looked at what happened when they took the supplement and he saw 1200 chemical reactions take place instantaneously that put the body and the brain in this healing anti-inflammatory state. He saw GABA, serotonin, oxytocin being produced when they took vitamin G. So every time I talk about vitamin G, people start going on their phone yeah. And they go to Amazon. Sounds expensive. For, I mean, if it it's sounds, that effective, yeah, it does. If it does I don't know all if those, I can afford that. Right. 
and people look for vitamin G on Amazon or vitamin shop, but here's the thing. Vitamin G is the practice of gratitude. It, you can't buy it. it and it, it is free. It's not expensive. And you could not overdose with it. You could do it as often as you'd like. So I talked about the benefits of gratitude, what I call vitamin G, what you appreciate, appreciates, it grows, it expands. It's so important towards healing with any diet that you follow. And so we got into that. We got into the importance of believing, um, which is, I believe the most important health tip is like actually believing that you could heal your body, that your body was built to be self-healing. So it was a fantastic lecture. We had a great time. Mindy is amazing. And KetoCon was great. I'm going to be back at KetoCon next year. I hope to see some of your audience members uh, join us there. Excellent. I will plan on rushing the stage because that's how <laughs> I meet uh, luminaries in the health field. I just rush the stage. I love it, Dixie. Uh, <laughs> Give you a big oxytocin hug. <laughs> that's right. Um, okay. Before we get to my, you know, my my last table side tradition question. I'm curious, just again, because you you and I have both struggled in different ways. If there's someone listening to this who, you know, is going, wow, you know, this is inspiring. This is great. But I just, what do I do? How do I go from where I am to better? What's like the first step that someone really struggling should take right after they hear this? That's a very, very important question. The first step would be to change your environment because you become your environment. I mentioned that earlier with my story. I became my environment, oh. right? Your environment determines your thoughts. Your thoughts determine your actions and your actions determine your results, but it starts with your environment. So if you have friends and family members who are influencing you, to eat seed oils, to drink alcohol, to stay up late, to have a sedentary lifestyle, whatever it is, boundaries need to be set. Um, I'm not saying to eliminate them from your life. Sometimes that needs to be done, but I'm saying to set boundaries, to let them know like this is your, these are your new goals. You're determined to hit them and either they're going to support you or you're going to spend less time with them because they will influence you. You, you become the five people around you. And if you have five people around you, your closest five friends or family members who are influencing you negatively, it's going to be very difficult to avoid the seed oils, to do keto, to do fasting, because you become your environment. So I would do an audit on your environment, put them in different camps, chargers, I call them chargers or drainers. People who are chargers support you. They root you on, you're charged up after you speak to them. And then you have drainers who are gossiping, who are telling you, why do you need to do keto? Why do you need to do fasting? Oh, you have a seed oil card. That's so stupid. Whatever it is, you, you put them to two different camps, do an audit, and then you spend more time with the chargers. And if you don't have chargers in your life, like find chargers, there's amazing communities. Dixie has an amazing community, like find your tribe, but it starts with your environment. And when you make a change, please know that when you change, you become a threat to everybody in your life who does not change. That is a fact. Um, and it's not that they want you to be unhappy and unhealthy. It's that it's easier for you, for them to get you to stay on their level, their frequency than it is for them to change because it points a mirror to the things they're not doing. And it's just different frequencies. It's not that we're better than them or vice versa. It's different frequencies. So that would be my tip. Change your environment because that's going to determine your thoughts. Your thoughts determine your actions and your actions determine your results. Oh, bravo. It's like you're a professional speaker or something. Ben. 
No, it, it speaks to me on two levels, though. One, the the anorexic bulimic ballerina. Mm. When I realize that I don't want to die and that I must live, the next step was I have to quit ballet. Because if I put myself in this, I don't, I didn't say it eloquently. I didn't even know what I was thinking. This is 30 years ago, but that's basically, I mean, you just said it. I, I couldn't be in that environment. And then the, the thing I say somewhat jokingly, but I'm actually serious when talking with clients now is you're not going to be able to effectively make this change that you're saying you want to make if you are living in a house of carbs. You just mm. can't, you know, because we're not robots. I don't, if I have risotto on the stove, I will eat the risotto. So, mm. you know, and it's fine. If you want to have an indulgence and have some risotto, that that's, we, we're not into diet dogma, but to make the change, you have to remove the carbs from the environment. So you are just spot on. So last question, favorite table side tradition in your life? What is what do you mean by that? So a table side tradition could be a daily ritual. Like in my ah. house, my favorite table side tradition is like the dinner cheers and then a little bit of vitamin G if I can get my boys to stop rolling their eyes. Um, it could be <laughs> a holiday or anything in between, right? It Got could it. be okay. a dish that's shared. It could be a tradition you hold with friends in South Beach. That's got to be some fun stuff going on there. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. So what first came to mind when you explained that was um, my mom. She makes this traditional Persian dish mm. called fusinjun. That's how you say it. And it's my favorite Persian dish. So what it is, it's... um chicken, like a whole chicken she cooks in a, and it's, and it's like in a stew, if you want to call it that of like this pomegranate walnut sauce Ooh. sauce. And it's really good. Yeah. And she make that's like my favorite thing. And she always makes it at like the Iranian new year or, you know, celebrations. And that is something that I always look forward to. It's so good. It's my favorite dish. It's called Fusinjun. If you haven't heard of it, look it up, try to make it. I, I don't try to make it. I just let my mom make it, but it's really, really good. <laughs> Oh, that's great. In the great words of SpongeBob SquarePants, made with love. That's right. <laughs> so much love. <laughs> All right, Ben, where can folks find you? Well, everywhere. If there's a <laughs> platform you're on it, but please share. My Keto Camp podcast. Um, you Dixie was on there recently, so you might want to start with that episode. It was a really great episode. We talked about your book, The Nourishment Mindset. Congrats on your new book, by the way. So Keto Camp Podcast, Campus Bell with a K. And then if you just go to my website, benazadi.com, you could find all of my social media. We also have our Keto Camp YouTube, et cetera. So those would be the, the best places to find me. Perfect. All right. Well, thank you so much, Ben. Thank you, Dixie. It was a pleasure.